0: Welcome to The Fabulous 413, I'm Khaleesi Smith, and we are sort of taking a day of rest here. After all, Monty just finished walking 43 miles, pushing a shopping cart from Springfield to Greenfield in support of the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts. But we'll hear from some of the folks who were there at the end of this massive journey to spread awareness about the plight of those hungry and in need in our community as the march came to a close just outside Hawks and Reed in Greenfield. Over 100 folks came together to feed the people of the 413 through the endeavors of the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts. But perhaps not everyone knows how this event got started. Our director, Tony, had that same question.
1: So, Mati, tell me a little brief encapsulation of the history of the march. The history of the march for the Food Bank began when I was doing a very traditional radio Thanksgiving food drive outside of Whole Foods on Route 9 and Hadley with a shopping cart where we would ask people, when they would come out of the market to drop something in the cart, and then we would donate that all to the Food Bank of Western Mass. But the more I got to talk with and know about the work of the Food Bank of Western Mass and to hear the inner workings and the mission of the Food Bank, I was tipped off to the idea that, You know, you might go into Whole Foods and pay three bucks for a can of pinto beans, but with that three bucks, the food bank can leverage a whole crate or maybe even a truckload of pinto beans that fell off a truck or something like that. So the idea that a fund drive would be more effective in fighting hunger than a food drive was something that was interesting to me. So we brainstormed about, could we do a fund drive for the food bank of Western Mass? And one of the folks that works there said, what if you took a shopping cart and pushed it business to business on Main Street in Northampton and asked for donations. And I said, what if I took a shopping cart and pushed it from Northampton all the way to Greenfield? And it was like a light bulb went off. And that was how the idea was born. The costumes were not a part of the march in the first year. I literally had no idea if I was physically capable of walking 26 miles in 12 hours. People were calling the radio station at the time saying, you are not going to be able to accomplish this. But they were wrong. I did it and not too. it I was sore the next day but it wasn't that bad I dressed for comfort and athleticism on that first march but the more people started and it was just me by the way it was me and a shopping cart and like a person in a radio station van and when the sun went down they were like waving a flashlight frantically so nobody would hit me on five and ten in Deerfield it grew obviously and we've got more support and more people marching and the more I think it was year three I was like I love dressing up why don't I dress up for this and That's where the idea of the costumes came in. And then that would make things like WGBY's Connecting Point come with a camera and wanna do a feature on it or make the Daily Hampshire Gazette or Mass Live or whatever come and want to pay more attention because there was this visually intriguing element of it too. When you're walking the march route, how does that impact your thought process on the road? When I'm on the road, I am not necessarily thinking about the individuals that are gonna be helped by this, but I'm learning from the people that are around me be it from U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern, from the executive director of the Food Bank, from somebody who tells me the story of how they grew up and they had, you know, no money for Thanksgiving meals, but the generosity of their community came forward and and brought it to them and that's why they march. Or when we make stops at the different food pantries on the march, getting to talk a little bit with the people who are there waiting for food at the time or there getting a hot meal at the time, it sticks with you. And I think that's kind of what propels me forward as it's going. There's not one person in the world though, that made me start to think about this overall. I think, it to me, it is the most basic. You need food, water, and air to be a living human being. And uh, water is relatively free. If you need air, <laughs> despite what we're doing to the environment, it's there. We make this huge thing about food. Oh, you got to work. Look, these people are working. But we're, maybe we're not paying them enough. We need to figure out how to fill that gap so they don't have to make a devil's bargain between whether there's going to be dinner tonight or they're going to pay for medicine or whether there's going to be dinner tonight or there's going to be heat in the house tomorrow. That's, that's not good. And, I, and that's why
0: I want to do something about it. And since then, so many people have heard the call to walk this walk, including State Senator Joe Comerford, Congressman Jim McGovern, who has walked in the majority of these marches despite breaking parts of his body en route and other calamities, and even Governor Maura Healy, who met the marchers in Deerfield and walked the last leg with them. We'll hear all those conversations later in the show. Since it's the day before a holiday where eating is pretty much the thing being celebrated, we'll also take a look at two farms in our area that are being helmed by by chefs. Later in the show, we'll remember a glimpse of late spring produce that was with Grown Up Farm. But right now, let's head down the road from the NEPM studios to one of only three farms remaining in East Long Meadow.
2: Apples are complicated, much more than anybody actually thinks. And to do organic apples in New England is really difficult. That's why UMass, we, we all do like integrated pest management where we're catching stuff. Only spraying when we need to, but there is... A lot to learn there so that there's new things all the time new pests that are gonna eat the trees as well as the apples and you know it's always some challenge <laughs> that's come along but it's a good community of growers in massachusetts and i've never felt like out of place i never felt like i wasn't just one of the people there you know like a lot of farmers took me under their wing you know 80 year old guys that Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll tell you what to do, sure.
1: It's time for another Local Hero Spotlight with Phil Corman from CESA, the Local Hero folks. And here we are in East Long Meadow. After coming down the highway, going through the city, and feeling like you're in a very urban setting, we are, it feels like in a hobbit-type village of apples
0: and apple delights what's your name
2: hi my name's cindy i'm one of the owners Um, it is
0: full of apple delights i have an apple turnover and it's delicious and you might not hear me except for chewing calice will be
1: sampling the wares while we talk about the apple place it's i mean it does feel like a fun cute little village that comes up almost out of out of nowhere after you're an urban slash i'm
0: almost as happy as when i held the baby goats right
1: now it's like an urban then suburban and then all of a sudden farm setting so tell us about the apple place cindy
2: um so my father started the farm back yeah. <laughs> when in like 1972 i think we moved all the apple trees from springfield mass we had an orchard there um where the plaza is where big lots is oh wow! that was an orchard he did the apples for years and when he passed away i moved here decided that i wanted to keep the farm going um i went to culinary school i was a chef for years so it seemed like a good fit to open a bakery which we did kept the orchard going we switched over to the trellis kind of planting now i got a lot of help from umass learning about apples thankfully they have the yeah. extension
1: program they do a lot of of uh, excellent yeah. consultation for our farmers
2: yeah very good and we opened the ice cream shop maybe six years ago and it's been good
1: the pandemic transformed a lot of what you were doing business wise here at the apple place in east long meadow
2: yes although it was hard because we had to wear masks everyone had to wear masks we had to kind of police everybody it increased i probably quadrupled our business i'd say because we started doing things that we didn't normally do posting the menu on facebook every day things like that which is It kind of got shared more and more people saw it and people would call with their order. Um, We also opened up more space in the back so that it wasn't so crowded. It could be one way traffic. Yeah, Yeah, which is where
1: we are now. We're sitting in the back. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, so nice and shady back here. It forced us to do some changes that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise.
1: How's the turnover going, Khalid?
0: Ah, it's so good. It's so, like nearly gone.
1: <laughs> so
3: I'm kind of curious because uh, I know the pandemic in some odd ways were really helpful to some farm businesses because it felt like, as you were saying, kind of a safe place to go get quality food that you could trust by people who are growing the food. So now we're semi out of the pandemic. How's business these days?
2: I, I'd say we did maintain kind of that increase that we experienced. There are more challenges now I'd say there's still challenges with pricing you know on on ingredients and such labor a lot of people went out of the food service business as a result of the pandemic the weather of course you know nothing to do with the pandemic but the weather's kind of all over the place too so as a farmer you want to plan but a lot of things are out of your control and that's difficult
1: We're with Cindy Normandin at the Apple Place in East Long Meadow, a beautiful apple orchard and agro-tourist business right in the suburbs outside of Springfield. A lot of our apple farmer friends lost a ton of their apples, upwards in some cases of 90%. That's kept people in certain orchards from doing pick-your-own. What's the story with your apples here at the Apple Place, and how has the weather affected your apples this season?
2: So we did lose probably... 75 percent of our apples because and of the flooding or because, because of of what? Of the fro- because of the frost okay. in May if you look at the orchard there's apples kind of up front but even just the sloping down where it's lower there's none mm. you know mm. so uh, the ones that we have have some frost damage from that night as well so there's like a brown stripe in the middle. Oh, they still taste good, they still will bake well and such, but you know, not attractive for selling. A lot of the growers that we would maybe supplement from don't have much either.
0: How many varieties were you growing? I see Cortland's and this kind of looks like ginger gold, but it's some. That's
2: Matsu. Matsu?
0: Oh. Uh, they're
2: very ugly this year, but. That's okay. Yeah, so.
0: I don't care. They taste delicious. <laughs>
2: so some of them we have just like four or five trees, but we do have some heirloom ones. I'd say right now we're probably at 50 different varieties.
0: Have you seen like some varieties that withstood more so you'll see them more when you come to stands like this?
2: Well, it it probably depends where they were in the bloom process because, like, if if the flowers were still on, that's the time where you're going to lose the most. Someone who's maybe up on a high place, uh, like a mountain or something, would be be better off because the frost kind of settles. And this is uh, East Longmeadow is very low, so I think it's more due to where the trees were in the process of growing rather than the variety.
3: So, how many farms are there now today, 2023, in East Longmeadow?
2: Well, there's really, I would say, three. Meadowbrook Farm's quite a big farm. They sell to Big Y and such. Then there's us, and then there's uh, Crow hill farm which is a small organic farm and she does i think i can
1: hear them from here
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's> them. <laughs> she does like a csa but we do buy things from her when she has extra as well like our tomato um, croissants today are with her tomatoes
1: so that brings us to the bakery it's not just an apple farm people are coming in getting their coffee getting breakfast tell us about what there is at the apple place on a day-to-day basis
2: yeah so we do have a big selection of croissants we've kind of done more savory things as a result of the pandemic as well which we weren't doing as much of before but we do a lot of fruity things you know we do muffins scones savory croissants sweet croissants pies Uh, mostly we try to use our own fruit and this year we'll be able to do that quite a bit turnovers, as you just saw.
1: please uh-huh. didn't even save me one bite. No. Oh,
2: okay. I'm I'll sorry. give you one. You were, I don't
1: want
3: hold on. you I one. I just wanted well, one you can, bite. I'll cut
2: it in half. <laughs> you know, You're
3: <laughs> used to dealing with kids, I said.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: The time to have hit me I almost stopped you, when, but I was like, like we're before. in the middle of an interview, so, so I'm not going to grab it. Filling, <laughs> <want later. laughs> That's all I want. I just want a little taste of sweet. It is wonderful. Like It smells like the bakery at the orchard that I went to growing up. There's something really nostalgic about it, and again, it's a great turnover real nice pastry like real nice filling like not overly sweet well-balanced spice i like it and you do cider donuts and things
2: like yes, that too yes we do and our neighbors kind of hate us because the smell like wakes out <laughs> into their yards every morning but it could be a marijuana we don't, we don't farm
3: how many acres do you have here on the on the farm right now uh
2: presently we have 14 so it's not a huge farm but you can really do a lot especially with the high density planting uh with with trees now and it's enough you know, to take care of, (laughs) that's for sure. (laughs) But you don't need to have a huge place to to really make a, a difference and grow a lot of stuff.
3: This is really the time that we need everyone to visit their favorite farm places and some new ones because if we want to keep the farms going in, you know, East Long Meadow and elsewhere, we need to be there for farms when it's tough for them too.
2: I totally agree. A lot of my farm friends that are older, they're discouraged, you know. it's These people have huge investments in labor, for pruning and they also make commitments ahead to bring staff in which you can't get out of you know so their expenses still remain high but they have no crop whatsoever and some of them are thinking about not doing it anymore and it's makes me sad where will we be without local farms the, the state i feel the state of massachusetts is very good about wanting to keep the farms going but individual towns i don't think as much Um, You know, Esau Meadow has kind of put in their master plan that they want the farms to remain in Esau Meadow because that makes the town special. It's
0: still kind of sad and upsetting that the number of farms had to dwindle to three for them to go, oh, wait a minute, we should maybe hang on to this. This is actually important.
2: You can't go back. Once it's gone, it's gone.
0: What's your favorite variety of apple that you grow and did it survive the frost?
2: I would say it's Matsu is my favorite and we do have some ugly ones, so we'll be eating those quite a bit. Delicious apple crisp and just a little tart. Macauans too, I think are really good.
0: That's Phil's favorite. I
1: mean, that's
2: just a superb apple. The
0: apple place is still making delicious Apple things to enjoy. You can find out more on their website and Facebook page. Up next, a revisit to the March for the Food Bank 14 with State Senator Joe Comerford and Congressman Jim McGovern. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 and
3: The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, helping customers make the switch to solar for savings, energy security, and tax incentives. Learn more at northeast-solar.com.
1: So we're at the lunch stop on the 14th March for the Food Bank here at Berkshire Brewing Company in South Deerfield. U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern, who celebrated his birthday on the march yesterday, is still here with us and still looking
4: upright and mobile. Am I wrong about that? No, you're right. I'm upright and mobile, uh, but barely. (laughs) Uh, But having said all of that, um, you know, I don't feel it's just really wonderful to be here with so many good people. There's a lot of awful things happening in the world today. Here, there's good people doing good things uh, and trying to solve a real problem that we face. And so, you know, a few aches and pains is nothing. And uh, and I'm really just proud to be with all of you. I was just speaking to the rest of your
1: family inside Berkshire Brewing Company, which I believe this is the first time in the entirety of, I think maybe this is, uh, you know, 10 times you've done the March for the Food Bank, that your entire family is here at the same time. Your son, Patrick, your daughter, Molly, your wife, Lisa, and all of them, to a one, were saying, while talking to Bella, who is on your team, right. who is an athlete, right. saying, we don't understand
4: how Congressman
1: Jim McGovern physically can do this year after year.
4: Well, I mean, they're actually here in case I collapse. They want, they want to make sure someone drags me off the road. No, look, at they, they care about these issues, too. And I'm really happy that they're all here and they're going to finish up the march with us. And um, I'm really uh, proud of that and excited about that. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, this group is going to raise a boatload of money uh, that's going to result in a lot of families in this community having access to good, nutritious food. And, you know, without this effort, uh, many of them would go without. So this is a big deal. Uh, and it was uh, great to see our friend Joe Kennedy here. Um, you know, he, he comes because I think, it's, I think he was so impressed. I, I, don't, I don't know what number this is, but he's been here a long time. But he, uh, you know, he... He drove all the way up from Boston because he said, you know, I've been doing this regularly, I want to keep on doing, and he made a nice donation, and I'm really grateful for that. But but this is a big deal, and I'm really proud of this
1: community. A year ago, you helped to convene the first-in-a-generation White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health. In that conference, there were several roadmaps laid out for what we as state governments, we as federal governments, could do to alleviate hunger. If we believe that it is a fundamental human right, which I do. You cannot live without food. What else would define a fundamental human right? And yet, the federal government is in disarray, and that's putting it lightly. Senator Joe Comerford was at that White House conference on hunger, nutrition, and health. Senator Joe Comerford, who also used to work for the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts, and who implemented a plan that could be something huge California has done it. Now we in Massachusetts have done it. And when we were talking about it at that White House conference a year ago, there were several people who were impressed at how far Massachusetts had come in alleviating hunger, especially for kids in the public schools, except one chef, Jose Andre, who said to the Western Mass Beacon Hill delegation, you're only doing your job. We can be proud about it, but really it is the most basic thing. Senator Joe Comerford is here as well. Tell us about about that conference and what it meant to you, and then about the notion that Massachusetts has been able to pass universal free meals for kids in schools.
5: Yeah, so first of all, about that conference, I had the honor and the real privilege, so did you, Monty, of watching the entire room get on its feet for Jim McGovern. Um, you know, I, everybody to a person recognized that that conference was not going to happen. They
1: had to give a standing ovation to the president because the president's the president.
5: Yes, but, but they, they gave a longer they, standing
1: ovation to Jim. with a
5: lot of cheers and his many of his colleagues from from the House of Representatives and the Senate were in the front rows cheering for Jim because Jim has led the way nationally like he does here in Massachusetts and I think you know you were asking about why Joe Kennedy comes Jim and we're remarking that he came again he comes because you're inspiring you inspire us to do this you, you both Monty and Jim inspire us to do this you know bananas thing um, which is so beautiful so inspiring and so necessary uh, and yes we have a lot of work to do and in fact on the walk Jim and I were talking, and Commissioner Randall and I were talking about what's next in Massachusetts. There's a lot of work. We have a lot of programs that end uh, hunger, that strengthen the food system, that tackle diet-related diseases. And we have to take stock of them. And we have to know which ones are effective, which ones have to expand, how we're going to measure that. We have to come together like we've never come together before in this gauntlet and pick up the gauntlet that Congressman McGovern laid down and actually do it here in the Commonwealth with his leadership.
1: Why do you come out on this march, Senator Joe Comerford? You are doing the hard work day in and day out in your elected office about trying to uh, solve hunger on Beacon Hill, or at least do what Massachusetts can do to alleviate it. Why come out on this ridiculous, you've been here since
5: (laughs) Northampton,
1: yeah. You know, you've been coming on this march longer than you weren't elected officially.
5: That's true. I also believe in the work of the food bank. I've seen the food banks work you know, with regard to local meal sites and pantries, elder feeding programs, those dollars are stretched. They help real people, our neighbors, um, fight back the the fear that I think any of us can imagine of not having uh, not having enough food in the house, not knowing how you're going to feed your kids, not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. That's what our neighbors face. And that is why the food bank's work at this moment, meeting the immediate demands of hunger, is so important. And the food bank also wants to work itself out of a job. Because as you've said, Monty, as you've said, Congressman McGovern, hunger is preventable. We just have to get the social and political will necessary to end it. Um, so it's an honor. I love the Food Bank. I love its work. I love its member programs. And that's who's filling this march with us, right? Many of these folks are local municipal officials. They're human service workers. They're educators. All of who've seen the power of the Food Bank's reach.
1: I would like to publicly apologize to your family, U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern. Your wife has once again asked me to, uh, you know, turn it back into a one-day event. But I think she knows, even if I've told you a hundred times you don't have to do one step of this march that you're probably going to do it anyway?
4: Look, selfishly, if we're going to be candid here, we all get something out of this. I mean, uh, one is, you know, we're helping people and we are raising awareness about hunger. But for each of us um, who care about these issues, sometimes it's frustrating to be in government. I know sometimes Joe finds it frustrating. I find it frustrating because we want to do some things that sometimes we can't get done. Uh, And so we fight about things and we we, we we you know we lobby for things and sometimes they happen, sometimes they don't. And when they don't, it's really, really uh, it, it's terribly unsatisfying. This two-day march results in cl- well, cl- close to a half a million dollars when all is said and done, that's our hope, for the food bank of Western Mass. It's a lot of money, a lot of meals. It's real. It's real. So for those of us who care about these things, we all get something out of it too. And that is the, the satisfaction that after a, a, a lot of walking and a lot of pain and blood, sweat and tears that something happened. Something was accomplished, something real, not just a vision or an idea. This is real. And I think I say that for all the people on this march and for the people who give as well. I mean people give because yes. they're generous. They also give because they want to they want to see results. Right. And that's what it's about getting something done.
5: That's beautiful. I completely agree with you. Sometimes policy is a long slog. Budgets take a year to develop and then the money rolls out slower than that. This will be $500,000 thanks to this march, the stake in the ground, Barbie's stake in the ground. Um, you know, we'll have $500,000 raised thanks to you guys, thanks to everybody who donated. And right, you're right, Jim, I, I want to be a part of that. Um, I, you know, the ache and the fear of, of the work and how sometimes government doesn't work like we want it to is so great that sometimes it just feels good to walk. And by walking, by raising money, by saying, by inviting people to donate, you know, I can do something today um, where, you know, the budget is a little far off.
1: Well, we've got less than 10 miles to go. You ready for the last
0: leg? The
5: last leg. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm
0: ready. Here we go. Here we go. Up next, a marcher we were too early to catch on the show yesterday, but who came along to finish the journey with everyone and the first of their station to do so in the history of the march, Governor Maura Healy. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM.
5: Hello, Governor. Great to see you. Great honey. to see you. you doing? I'm doing great. You're not cold? Well,
1: you know, okay. cold is a matter of... Interpretation. That's I suppose.
6: true. That's true. Well, we'll get on the road. Yeah. Once weird we get moving, we get going. Are you marching? Who's this? Yeah. Who's this? This is my,
1: this is my right-hand woman, weird, yeah. other weird Barbie, Sean She's Barry, owner of, of Four Seasons Wine and Liquors. Nice.
6: Nice to see He's you. He's the Sancho
1: Panza to my Don Quixote. Where on this point. fool's errand, tilting at windmills, it's, he makes sure that I stay on the straight and narrow. Tilting
6: at windmills. This is really important. I know it makes a huge difference. Well, I it's appreciate awesome. that. It's Look at all the community out. Yeah, it's really great. You even got the media wearing now. I know. Wearing we got Wearing the swag, some, that's good. Yeah,
1: wearing the swag yeah. and also wearing the pink. A lot of the people that have come on this march for many, many years, some of whom now run your Western Mass office, yeah. or now who uh, head many committees yeah. in, in the legislature, have a long-term history with working with hunger issues and have now brought it to the legislature, have now brought it to Beacon Hill. And now you, as governor, helped to sign into law this piece of legislation that ensures that every public school kid in Massachusetts has universal free meals. Tell me about what you have learned about hunger through the time that you have worked with the legislature who's worked so hard in the, in the world of hunger on these issues.
6: Yeah, well, I really, um, first off, really appreciate the chance to be here today, Monty, and everything that you all are doing. It's great to see so many wonderful colleagues from the legislature who have been advocating so hard around food security issues. It's great to see so many folks from the community coming out, um, particularly, you know, this time of year when it's Thanksgiving, and we think about, you know, some of the things that we have, and we think about so many of the things that so many people don't have. I think one of the things that I, I, I do want people to know is that hunger is a real issue in Massachusetts, and we are a state of so many riches and so much opportunity and so many good things going on, and it is also the case that tonight there will be too many families who are going to bed hungry and who will wake up hungry, so I'm a huge advocate for the incredible work that the food bank does and for all those who join in advocacy for food security do because we're a commonwealth we should be looking after and taking care of each other and I think raising the awareness of hunger as an issue is really important because I don't think enough people statewide appreciate just how severe hunger is and you know how it affects young people old people and everyone in between so proud that I was able to sign Uh, into law, a budget uh, brought forth by by the legislature um, that made sure we had school breakfast and lunch for kids. Um, But there's so much more we we can and, and should be doing to ensure that every family and every person in this great state has food and doesn't want.
1: One thing that I've learned in my time working with the Food Bank and doing this march and working with many of the legislators you just referenced is that hunger is a multifaceted issue. It's not just hunger, it's poverty writ large. It's a stigma surrounding what it means to be poor. I learned from my good friend, Neftali Duran, who's just right there, that this is not a charity issue. This is a justice issue. And at the same time, we're dealing with many justice issues. And I know you have had to wrestle as governor with the migrant crisis that we're facing and where to house different people that are coming to our commonwealth there is a housing crisis writ large. What would you like the citizens of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts do to help out with both of these crises at the same time we're dealing with this hunger crisis? We've heard from Andrew Morehouse from the Food Bank throughout the duration of this March. Inflation and things have caused the number of people relying on quote unquote emergency food to skyrocket even in the last few months. What should the people of the Commonwealth do in your opinion?
6: One, I think they need to um, join uh, the support that we have from our great legislative delegation represented here in making sure that we take the steps in in the coming months to do a few things one um, make sure that we pass the bill that i recently filed it's a housing bond bill you know the issue of 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 housing insecurity houselessness homelessness it's real here in the state it existed long before the migrant crisis as you termed it so we need to really spark production do everything we can to get more units out there so that people have uh, places to live. That means public housing. It means rehab and renovation of spaces that haven't been before used as, as housing units, which you should be using now, and basically building out you know, low-income, affordable market rate workforce housing across this state. I think it's also important that people continue to tell their stories so that people uh, people's awareness of this is, is raised. But, you know, you're absolutely right. This all ties together. You know, you visit our community colleges. They have food banks in them. And that's because too many of our students struggle with with just, you know, finding ways to, to eat. Um, it's one of the reasons we were really pleased to work with the legislature in making sure that, we were making education cheaper, more affordable for people, right, who, you know, have to pay for gas, have to pay for a place to live, have to pay for groceries. And, you know, that's why we made the, the investments that we made in, in education. Um, but for people to see, you know, so much of what we pay in, in, in health care, right, we, we talk about high health care costs in the state. So much of our health care is driven by what we call social determinants of health. You know, are you housed? Um, are you hungry? Um, do, you, do, you, do you have childcare and are you able to go to work? I mean, do you have transportation to get to the doctors or to get to appointments and get to a job? All these things tie together. And I think seeing the commonality, you know, seeing the thread through this is something that's really, really important. and. You know, I just really appreciate Congressman McGovern for his steadfast leadership. You know, whether it's in the halls of Congress or back home here in Massachusetts, hunger is something he's always talked about and always led on. And this is a problem we can solve. And I think that's one thing I want to drive home because in a world today where there are so many challenges, right, Um, we deal with everything from, you know, climate and and the issues that 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 poses. Yes, inflation. Right. And some some, you know, uh, geopolitical forces that are, you know, having real impact here um, in terms of migration this is something we can and should solve here in massachusetts once and for all and i appreciate the the work of the western mass food bank i think that we learned the significance of our food banks this summer in particular through the severity of the storms because the disruption to those food banks literally meant the disruption to needed food supply and i'm you know, grateful for and proud of the resilience shown by our farmers, um, shown by those who who work uh, in food banks and distributing food across the state. But to me, it underscored the need to make sure that we are doing everything we can to both fund and support um, these efforts and to just raise people's awareness about um, the the critical infrastructure that our food banks provide. I I wish for a day when we didn't need food banks, right? That's what we want. Um, But until then, until, you know, every family and every child and every senior um, has food. We need to keep working.
1: I also want to say in response to what happened during the flooding of the summer that affected so many farms and where we live in Western Mass, that it must be frustrating to be an elected official where the slow moving ship of state can't snap into action as quickly as you might like. However, you reached out to partners, many of whom have come on this March for the Food Bank for many years to try to figure out a way to provide relief to those farms. Those farms provide relief to the people who are hungry in our area. And while they weren't able necessarily to do it in the amount of pounds this year, as they have in years past, the uh, impact of the farms in this area cannot be understated. And your springing into action is amazing. So hopefully if hunger is going too slow on the state or federal level in solving the crisis, that maybe you'll participate in the March for the Food Bank. Like you have done today, Governor Maura Healy, the first governor to come on the march, and I'm, I'm oh, honored yeah. to have you.
6: I'm to be here. And it's just. Thanks, Monty. Oh,
4: I, 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 I think Maura Healy is not only a great governor, but more importantly, a very, very good person. Um, and she cares about these issues, and I applaud her and our state legislative delegation for leading the way to make sure that school meals are universal and free uh, for every child in, in the Commonwealth. That is a huge, that will take a huge bite out of hunger and food insecurity. Uh, and um, there are so many other things that she's working on and she's, and but, but, but that you're here. Uh, and I think that we're all here is because uh, we, we are impatient. We want to solve hunger. Um, and sometimes government moves too slowly. It certainly does at the federal level, but being here um, in supporting this effort means that we will raise close to a, probably a half a million dollars or more. Um, a, and it will go directly to the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts. And it will mean food uh, that will go to families who are in desperate need, and including a lot of working families. Okay. So uh, anyway, uh, but I I, I, I I see Joe Comerford and Allie Blay and, mm-hmm. and Mindy um. Dome. Dom is here again, I mean, and... Um, we had Lindsay Sabadoza earlier, Dan Carey. I mean, we have a great legislative delegation out here, but I am really proud of you. And thank you so much thank for being for here today. Thank you
6: opportunity. Thanks, uh, Congressman, for your leadership. And, uh, you know, yeah, um, sometimes government moves moves more slowly than we'd all like. But I will say something about this um, Western delegation. It is really special. And the way people modali- mobilize, and I thank Senator Comerford and Rep Le and Rep Dom and others who joined and acted very, very quickly. Um, and it was, it was a delight to work with you to make sure that we stepped in Uh, after the bad storms and um, so I'm I'm pumped to be here and um, God bless you all. It's great to see you. Thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving. One last
1: thing. It's not every governor that would talk to a person dressed in a weird Barbie dress who's a radio host. Um, There is an anti-drag sentiment across the country but if there's one governor who I'm pretty sure is going to talk to a weirdo Dressed as Weird Barbie. I'm pretty
6: down with that. You yeah. got the memo, right? Yeah,
1: I got the memo. So yeah. thank you so much. Right.
6: That's great. Good to see you. Okay.
0: We'll hear Governor Healy's closing March statement a little later in the show. But right now, we're heading to Belchertown to remember the beautiful things we did with spring produce at Grown Up Farm. You're listening to the Fabulous 413 on 885 and What? Yeah. This oh. is amazing! <laughs> Lion's so mane cool. mushrooms!
1: Yes. <sighs> yeah. <Please> see what <laughs> yeah. I set up I when I come back from vacation and I provide for you this whole spread? Okay, I didn't that's do acceptable. it,
0: but... This is gorgeous! It's time
1: for a Local hero Spotlight. I've been on the Cape, a lot of oysters. But where we're at is oyster mushrooms and more with Clarissa Lee Madden from Grown-up farm in Belchertown, and Jacob Nelson from CESA, the local hero folks. Khalees, you were going crazy when you came into the studio and saw everything.
0: I know. This is all stuff that I really, really get excited to see in my share.
1: You are intentionally growing this weird type of stuff by design. Like, you want to do stuff that is not, not traditional, not in every single... Person's farm or farm share. This is kind of your angle.
7: Absolutely, my background's in fine dining, and I always had the opportunity in those you know, high-end restaurants to really play with some funky, cool-looking and tasting vegetables. So when we wanted to start providing food instead of just cooking it, we said, "Let's grow the funky stuff." I can't get
1: enough. <laughs> you know, just... we love the funky stuff. <laughs> I do. I Tell
7: love us- the funky stuff. All that funky stuff.
1: Tell us a little bit about some of the funky stuff apart from these lion's mane mushrooms and the oyster mushrooms that you brought with us today.
7: Sure, yeah. Everything I brought today is kind of at the height of its season right now, which is kind of a weird in-between season. You know, We're still having cool nights and warmer days, so you get things like garlic scapes and radishes and you know, fun salad turnips, because regular turnips aren't available until the middle of summer, um, so I grow the Hakurei turnips. And nobody else around us is growing these things so we're not stepping on any toes we're really working with other farms to provide a whole bevy of deliciousness for our communities.
0: One of the most self-affirming things to grow is radishes. They come up in like 20, 25 days, they take no effort at all, you can put them (laughs) right in the soil, and Mm -hmm. in like three weeks you have radishes and you didn't have to do anything. Radishes are there for you and easy to please and so easy to eat in so many ways, including a non, I wouldn't say non-traditional because it's a very French thing to do to saute your radishes. but. You've brought us sauteed radishes, and I'm so happy in this moment that somebody else did it and I didn't have to tell them
7: about should it. Should we
1: eat that? Yeah. We should absolutely yes. eat those.
7: So, a lot of people have an aversion to radishes because they taste like spicy dirt.
1: I, mean, I love spicy dirt <laughs> though.
3: But
7: spicy I love dirt radishes in butter? So <laughs> um. Right? So, these I just um, tossed a little oil, roasted at 400 for about five or six minutes. Dressed them with a really simple vinaigrette. Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: my word. Yep. Clarissa yeah. Lee Madden from Grown Up Farm in Belchertown. You mentioned that you came from a fine dining background. Tell us a little bit about that background.
7: Uh, mostly restaurants in Providence and Cambridge. Uh, we were at Lot 401 for several years. I was pastry chef in all of my restaurant iterations <laughs> um, until we started catering. I really I enjoy savory foods more than sweet so working with these sorts of things is really my jam more than like chocolate and sugar radishes
0: more than chocolate and sugar
7: yes that's a hot take
0: that's hotter than spicy dirt right there (laughs) these
1: radishes though i'm gonna say maybe not chocolate but other sugars for sure yeah
7: (laughs) yeah so um you know when we decided to get out of uh, kitchens we wanted to provide food to everybody, not just people who can afford to go to really expensive, you know, fancy fine dining restaurants. We really wanted to reach out and provide these fun ingredients we've been able to play with to everybody.
1: So did you come from those restaurants and buy a farm in Belchertown? How did you get to Belchertown?
7: Literally, that's what we did. (laughs) (laughs) We bought an acre of land, and it was just an acre of plain old land, but the farmland there is good. The soil is beautiful. And we started growing things in 2019 just for ourselves and 2020. The pandemic kind of hit our community, you know, hit everybody's communities really hard. So we said, we need to feed our neighbors. (laughs) So that's what we did.
0: That's amazing. Have they been really receptive? Have you been able to do educational, outreachy things with regards to the more fun? I don't want to say funky. funky And I don't want to say non-traditional because it's not as if (laughs) these things are not grown as regular crops in other parts of the world. It's just unusual for this area, shall we say, ingredients.
7: Yeah, that's actually been one of the most fun things for me personally, being at the markets, talking about the kind of vegetables that I'm bringing, you know, people say, "What? What are those?" Like, "Oh, they're cucamelons. <laughs> Try one." You know?
0: <laughs> cucamelons are some of the most bizarre-looking things, just like And they're so They're fun. so tiny and so fun. Every every new vegetable that you mention, Clarissa, Khalees, you're like, oh, I know exactly what that is. (laughs) Khalees is into the deep cuts when it comes to (laughs) cutting vegetables.
1: adventurous. Let's taste something else that you brought for us today. We'll We'll do it for you, listener.
7: Pickles. What are these? Uh, So those are the Hakarai turnips, which are here fresh. They are a really interesting turnip because they have a little bit of sweetness. They don't have as much of that. I I hate to use the word funk again, but.
1: (laughs) What experience are you having right now, Monty? I love them fresh, Mm -hmm. but pickled. They are just dynamite.
0: They're so good. Dynamite.
7: Did you try the leaves? Yes. I did. Yes. I was
0: going to ask how you make that, Clarissa. What did you do to, to create that transformation?
7: So those are lacto-fermented, so you have a ratio of salt to water, and you pack all of your vegetables, pour the cold oh, solution over <laughs> And they're still crunchy, right? Yeah. yeah. Still crunchy. The way I do my lacto-fermented uh, pickles is
1: bring I'll show you the jar. Clarissa grabs a mason jar.
7: Yeah. <laughs> so inside you'll see a grape leaf. And that grape leaf provides tannins to keep your vegetables crispy. So whenever you're doing lacto-fermented veggies and stuff on your counter, see if you can find a grape leaf. Just rinse it. You don't want to wash off any of the flora. And uh, chuck it in there. In about five days, you will start to see the, the salt solution getting cloudy, and that means it's working.
1: We're speaking with Clarissa Lee Madden from Grown-Up Farm in Belchertown. Trying
0: to not to chew right into the microphone. I love all those mouth noises, <laughs> as do all the <laughs> listeners. I've been I chewing the microphone mo- this whole time. And Jacob Sorry Nelson from CESA, the local hero folks. <laughs> I got to ask you about growing mushrooms because, like, I, I love that there are now still only really a handful of mycology places around here growing the fun mushrooms as I would say, because there's so many varieties of oyster mushroom. Are you, you're growing the mushrooms on the farm. Yes. Yes. What made you decide to move into doing that as well? Because that's not so typical, but I also think, and I'm, you know what, I'm going to leave that question there, and then I'll ask the second part mm-hmm. later.
7: Okay. <laughs> we actually started growing mushrooms first. That was our first crop that we really wanted to provide outside of the normal stuff. So um, we have been growing mushrooms on our own for about 10 years now. Before that we were foraging for about 10 years and I said if I have to eat another bug I <laughs> will die. Can, can we please grow our own?
0: <laughs> the joke aside to like all those vegans foraging out there, there's, there's no way that you've stayed vegan foraging mushrooms in the woods. There's just bugs. no way. Like however accidental, like you have definitely gotten animal protein. <laughs> Sorry. Cold <Cold-hearted. laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
7: so we we started growing oysters we grow the pink ones year-round even though they are a tropical variety because my uh, husband built this beautiful indoor growing facility for us it's an old ice cream refrigerator truck box so that he then converted into this clean space so we have you know the flow hood for the the cultures to keep everything really, really clean. And then we have three growing tents inside where we can control the humidity and temperature to make sure we're providing wow. the optimum environment for the kinds of mushrooms that we're growing.
1: You've created a literal mushroom.
7: <laughs> yes. Monty's Didn't back, you miss everybody. Me, oh. Monty's back, everyone. <laughs> Speaking with Clarissa oh, Lee Madden
1: from Grown Up which is not me, farm in (laughs) Belchertown, and Jacob Nelson from CESA. You wanted to ask the second part of your question, but let's eat something before we get to the second part of the question. What else we got here? So, I'm
7: gonna highly recommend that you dig into those broccolini leaves. They are roasted broccolini leaves. I know everyone's familiar with kale chips. Mm -hmm. Um, I find them to be a little bit dusty on the palate, and these have more flavor, more texture, and what's really great about them is they're typically a throwaway product. People get their broccolini from the farmers market. A lot of times, the leaves are stripped off, but we leave them on. So you can do this.
1: <laughs> Same thing. Little oil.
0: Throw them in
7: there. Little oil. Oven roast them with some salt. Mm-hmm. Two or three minutes. Delicious. Mm-hmm.
0: Stop throwing away the leaves of, like, cauliflower and, and broccoli. Like, they're great stewing greens mm. because everything in that family generally is. You can stir fry them. You can, like, you can saute them. You can braise them. It's wonderful. Stop throwing your leaves away.
1: You better be careful, Khalees, or Clarissa is going to get you on the yacht as a sous chef. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is this my pitch meeting? Because I think I'm doing it pretty well I think so you far. you are, without even realizing that you really well. well. yeah. I haven't been a sous in, like, it. 15 years, but, you know, like, whatever, my knife skills are Still here. <laughs> yes, I
7: love it. It's so great.
0: What else? What else haven't we talked about that you've brought us to, to, to try here? Garlic scape pesto might be rounding us out. Yeah, it yeah. Is And can you demystify garlic scapes for us? I feel like this is one of those things that like, if you know, you know, and then you're really hype about them. And yeah. if you don't, you're like, what the heck is that curly Q? Um,
7: so garlic scapes are the flower of the garlic plant. So you plant your garlic in the fall. It comes up green in the spring. And right about now, June, is when the flowers start to pop up. And they do. They curl right out. And you can reach down tug straight up and you'll get a really nice long scape instead of snapping them off
0: Mm -hmm.
7: and (laughs) give it a firm tug and it kind of like snaps down lower you get these really tender bits which are very asparagusy they have like this garlicky asparagus flavor to them i think that they are one of my favorite vegetables for the entirety of the summer they keep really well in your fridge you can use them on the grill, roasted, in soups, make sauces, um, saute them up, and just throw them in with pasta. They are so versatile, and they have this great flavor profile that really goes with anything.
0: I substitute them for long beans and stir fries sometimes. Mm, very nice. Because sometimes you can't find garlic p- long beans that are in good condition, but garlic scapes around this time of year are always kind of perfect.
1: And you made a pesto.
7: I did. I made two pestos, actually. So I brought... A cooked pesto, which is where I blanched the garlic scapes, so we could eat it fresh here with some gorgeous crusty bread, and then I made an uncooked one. So what you can do with the the raw stuff is it all of this freezes really well. This is so easy to make. I threw it together. Not this easy morning. to eat for some sure. of us. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> you get your garlic scapes, food processor, as much cheese as your heart tells you. To all use. the cheese. Yes, a nice a nice little hunk of of good Parmesan or, you know, any kind of like good firm cheese that you want to use.
0: These vegetables are for everyone, right? You were saying that Grown Up Farm just got authorized to accept SNAP last year. Congratulations. At your farm stand. Tell people where your farm stand is and then at these four markets too.
7: Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. We are really committed to making sure that everyone has access to local produce. And everyone has access to interesting local produce. You know, it's not just green cucumbers, slicing tomatoes and corn. It should be available to everyone. So getting approved to accept SNAP on the farm stand in Belch was very important to me. Um, and all of the markets that we are at also accept SNAP. And a couple of them even do a SNAP match. South Hadley, Chicopee, East Hampton. Those are the ones where you can go use your card, get $10 to use anywhere else in the market as well. That's wicked
0: cool, that's not a program that I've heard of before.
1: Yeah, this has been delicious, we should have
0: it's like, is this going to be, like, the wine thing where, like, we've yeah, accidentally we, made the farmers the up anti-tube. their game? Yeah, we love the anti <laughs> I was going to say that we should <laughs> have
1: more farmers on who are also chefs, but I don't want to pressure farmers to be more also, than they already like, need to be. But you I happen to be. That our, are both our, two demanding things. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Our <laughs> NEPM compatriots would literally kill us if we did this to the studio. If I keep getting garlic scape pesto
1: all over the board while I'm trying to juggle 15 different things. John DeWacky
0: is going to lose his mind. They're already just trying to get the things to work, and now we just slathered garlic scapes all over Grown Up Farm has been doing some wicked cool events and more all over the Bay State, and you should head over to grownupfarm.com to find out more, if only so you don't miss out on their next curated dinner. They keep selling out, y'all. The March for the Food Bank wrapped up around 6 p.m. last night, too much rejoicing, and the governor, who accompanied them for the last leg of the trip from Deerfield Academy to Greenfield Center, had this to say about their accomplishments. (laughs) <laughs> um, I, just, I, I just want
6: to say thank you. It was such a privilege to be able to do this last leg of the march with everybody. So grateful to Andrew, to everybody at the Western Mass Food Bank, and to our fearless leader, Jim McGovern, who's just an incredible person. To, to Mindy and Natalie, Joe, everybody's here. Roxanne's here. Everybody's here. So it's a wonderful evening. Know that. Uh, under uh, Ashley Randall's direction, who is one of your own, right, leading D.A.M.D.A.R., we're going to do everything we can as an administration to address food insecurity in this state. Nobody should be hungry in this state. Thank you for all that you do. I wish you and your families a really, really happy Thanksgiving. And, Monty, you, Weird Barbie, are so special every day of the year, especially, especially this year.
1: Okay, it's time to eat, drink, and be merry. A huge thank you to Stone Soup Cafe, who keeps the people of Franklin County yeah! fed yeah! week in and week out. A huge thank you to Cochino Lupita. A huge thank you to Austin Reed and have a street party courtesy of the Mayor of Freefield, but probably without all inside, with Double yeah! X Theater. Yeah! Yeah!
0: hoping that she's able to join us on another walking voyage to combat hunger everywhere and thanks to double Edge theater for being a great party band you can learn more about supporting the food bank and how hunger impacts the 413 by going to nepm.org hunger thanks so much to the tireless fabulous 413 team i'm calice smith for monty belmonte we'll see you tomorrow on the fabulous 413 and have a happy holiday however you choose to celebrate or not